Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. There's a strikeout, and Jake Woodford, two in a row, is second tonight. Urias is a fastball up, blew him away. Three strikeouts in a row for Woodford. And a strikeout for Jake Woodford. So Jake has struck out four of the last five that he's faced. A count of one ball and one strike on Tommy Edmond. Edmond hits it the other way. That's a base hit. Here comes Newfar. Edmond to second. He'll stop. Wide turnaround. The Juju. He got him! A strikeout for Gallegos. They strand the bases loaded. And for the first time since the 2001 season, the Cardinals have won 10 in a row. What a ball game last night. They've been so much fun down the stretch, and the Cardinals have indeed won 10 in a row. Another solid outing by a starter. That was Jake Woodford. The bullpen did their job. Gallegos made it interesting, obviously, at the end, but the Cardinals win it, and we've got 12 to go. Woodford went five, two hits, no runs, walked one, struck out five. The Cardinals manufactured just enough offense. A lot of things to get into with this game, and we're going to talk it over with Michael Gersh, the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, coming up in about 10 minutes or so. And with BK, I'm Danny Mack. Good morning, BK. Good morning, Dan. Another good morning here in St. Louis because the Cardinals have won 10 straight. They are looking like legitimate, not wild card contenders, looking like a legitimate contender right now. No qualifiers needed in front of that one. And last night is exactly the type of game that you're going to have to win in October. You're going to go up against some really good pitching like Brandon Woodruff, for example, and you're going to have to find ways to win games two to one. And there's going to be some gutsy moments down the stretch in the eighth, ninth innings where you're not really sure you're sitting on the edge of your seat. If you're a Cardinals fan, that one could have gone either way. That's the 50 50 game that you've got to find a way to win in October. That was less about getting a win to get into the wild card for me and more about proving to me Hey, we can win this way if we need to as well. I love the move by Mike Shield. I um, And I saw, if you're a fan out there and you're saying, how can you walk the tying run into scoring position? I get it. And then if you're a fan out there and say, how could you pitch to Christian Yellett? Well, you didn't. So I get that. And he went with a gutsy move. That was... That took some guts, man, to make that move. Because if it doesn't work, you're really going to be opened up for criticism. Um... And if it does work, boy, it's it's a hell of a move. And it did work. And uh, basically what he's saying in that spot is my guy, Gallegos, can get Reyes out. And even though Yelich is compromised, he's not where he was a couple of years ago, I'm still not going to let that guy beat me. He had already lined out uh, earlier in the game, hit a bullet right to Tyler O'Neill, And he's just saying, I've seen enough of Christian Yelich to know that this guy could beat me. So I'm not going to let that happen. And he walks the bases loaded, and you get out of the jam, and you win the game. I thought it was a gutsy move, and it moved up, and obviously the move paid off. I saw this from ESPN Stats and Info, and I'm, I want to make it very clear. This is not my numbers. This is ESPN Stats and Info's numbers. I've got a, a take on this on the other side of it. The Cardinals' win probability was apparently 80% 
before the walk of Yelich. It went down to 72% with the bases loaded. So according to ESPN, Schilt decreased the team's chances of winning, but obviously preferred the right-on-right matchup of Gallegos against Reyes, and then uh, Gallegos eventually got out of that jam. I think it was the right move, Dan. I heard what uh, Randy Carricker said earlier today, and I tend to agree with him. I'm not losing to Christian Yelich in that spot. If Pablo Reyes beats me there, so be it. But I'm not losing to Christian Yelich, the guy that's won the MVP. I understand that Christian Yelich right now is not the Christian Yelich that won the MVP. He's not the same player. He's in a big dry spell right now. He's having a down year overall. But... Still Christian Yelich, man. And I have no interest in going up there in that spot, in that moment, in that stadium and allowing him to beat me in that spot. So I I also will say this. That's the kind of move that they couldn't have made a month ago because you can't walk the bases loaded when Alex Reyes is your closer. They had moments similar to that where after the game, Mike Schultz would come in and be like, yeah, I don't I don't want to walk the bases loaded in that spot because I, I've got to have a guy that's got control if I'm going to do that. Well, Gallegos gives you that option. And so I, I do think right now having him as your closer allows you a little more flexibility in that spot as well. Yeah, I said that on the crossover, too. I said Alex Reyes in that spot, probably not going to do it. 100%. Henesis Cabrera in that spot, probably not going to do it either. Um I feel comfortable enough with Gallegos to do it. Uh, And so it's a gutsy move. It paid off. Cardinals have won 10 in a row, and here's Mike Schild. It's hard to capture because I don't don't plan on being done with it. Keep moving to tomorrow. But, um, you know, really what it – clearly it's significant. And regardless of time of year you do that, it's important this time of year, clearly more magnified. But really it's just about a group of of, uh, players that um, believe – and have believed in themselves and believed in each other, believed in the process, believed in the competition, the preparation, and believed in each other. Can they make it 11? Well, they got Michaelis going tonight. And Michaelis, to me, in his last start, was Miles Michaelis. There was velocity. There's a little extra giddy-up up in the zone. His breaking ball was sharper. And then you got Wayno going on Thursday. Um, and how about the pitching in this series by the Cardinals shutting down what is a pretty darn good Brewers lineup? You know, it was like the seventh of the eighth inning yesterday, and they still had not had a runner in scoring position the entire series. Mm-hmm. They're not hitting. And a lot of that is due to the fact the Cardinals are pitching very well. The pitching's been great for saying, I can't believe I'm saying <laughs> that, but it's been great. It's been excellent. And it's one of those things where, Dan, the, the names don't match what we're watching sometimes because, I mean, sure, John Lester, you look at the back of the baseball card. All right, yeah, we know he's been very good in his career, but. John Lester in 2021, prior to coming over to the Cardinals, and then even the first couple of starts with the Cardinals, was not a very good pitcher. But lately, he's been excellent for them. And last night, I think we're watching something different with Jake Woodford. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, Dan. Maybe there's something that you've seen that's changed for him. It just feels, to me, it looks like confidence. He looks like a more confident pitcher out there because previously, he would nibble. It It would be as if he was... He didn't feel like he was ready for the big stage. You would see the numbers down in AAA. He looked like he was ready to go. And then he would get to the big leagues and it was just too much for him for whatever reason. And now he looks like he belongs. And it's been it's been a hell of a lot of fun to watch. So I talked to somebody this morning that follows the minor leagues and I asked him that exact question. I said, OK, we've seen Woodford up and down a lot. And uh, he goes back down, I said, and then he's inserted into the rotation at Memphis. Did you see anything 
physically or what he's doing differently with his repertoire. And they said no. And they said exactly what you said. They said he finally figured out to pitch with a little confidence, which means you're pitching aggressively with your fastball. You're challenging guys a little bit more. You're not, to your point, nibbling. Um, I also think there's something of him going from the bullpen to the rotation. You know, you, you get a routine. Uh, the, the, the fact that maybe you're more comfortable in that role. Some guys are, some guys aren't. But a real key, and you always look at like those key moments in a season, right? That that key play, that big play, that big hit. Well, for the Cardinals, maybe a, a massive game, a game that they lost was on September 4th when he came out of the bullpen and went five and a third scoreless mm-hmm. innings. Huge. And gained confidence against a good team that was rolling at that point, Milwaukee. And since that time, he's been a different pitcher. So a couple things moving forward, though, that I I do think that you got to keep an eye on. And the most notable and the biggest one, and we'll ask Michael Gersh about this, is Dylan Carlson. So he had that check swing on a strikeout and then was double switched out. Now, the double switch would make sense if you were looking for multiple innings, if you were looking to get somebody's bat in the back end of your your, uh, lineup there. It just didn't, for me, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And when I saw him grimace and the fact you were going short with your bullpen, that's got me concerned going forward. So we'll see exactly what the situation is, hopefully with Michael Gersh, and maybe it's nothing. Um, And then the other thing is, seen a little crack in the armor of Luis Garcia here the last Mm -hmm. couple of games. So I think you got to back him off a little bit, let him get some rest here going forward the next couple of days maybe, and then uh, see what he's got uh, on on Friday when you're going to have to maybe need a lot of pitchers in 14 innings to cover, you know, that happens with a doubleheader coming up. For sure. Uh, On the Luis Garcia point, you've definitely seen he hasn't been quite as effective as he was previously. I think that is usage related. I would imagine he'll be down for a couple of days and hopefully he gets back to form. Carlson, Derek Gould asked after the game to Mike Schilt, you know, what what was that spot about? Was that just a typical double switch? Because we've seen that a little bit lately. Sure. There have been some moments where he switches Carlson out. And by the way, it worked. Situationally. New Bar got a walk, a stolen base, <laughs> yeah. and scored. Um, but he said, hey, for now, just a double switch. But I will say, he was like, hey, good eye on that one. So there's something. I don't know how significant, but there's clearly something there. I'd like to answer a couple of texts real quick, Dan, if you don't mind. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. There were a couple of people that said something to the effect of, so there's this one from the 636. Mike's been making the right moves for two weeks now. He has changed. Another one, it's about not leaving the pitchers in too long. Mike has changed. I actually disagree with that. I think Mike Schilt is basically managing the same way that he was previously, but he's got better dudes now. He couldn't leave pitchers in longer because he didn't have enough of a lengthy bullpen to be able to go to you didn't have four innings that you could have covered previously and then when you're talking about the moves that he's making late in games he's got better options right I mean, he's got uh Lars Newtbar that can come in and give you a good at bat he's got guys that he can go to at the back end of the bullpen when Gallegos or Reyes or Cabrera are unavailable those make you look like a much better manager in those spots I think Schilt's basically the same guy He's got better players right now that are performing well, and that makes it look a lot different and feel a lot different as a Cardinals fan. Well, when when your starters give you some innings and some length, you're able to rest some guys, and there is a residual effect of that. So where, you know, all of a sudden it was always the big three. Somehow, someway, you had to have a combination for a long time of two of those three guys pitching for you, and it seemed like like three months without winning a game in in which any of those guys appeared. Right, so that changed. Uh, Obviously, Happ and Lester changed, but uh, to the point of the texture, and you made the point earlier, and I I said it on the crossover too, 
the game like you saw last night, that is a playoff game against Woodruff, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Kevin Gossman, whoever. I don't care. But you get on and you're going to have to manufacture runs, whether that's bunting, whether that's stealing a base with Tommy Edmond and hopefully somebody driving him in. I mean, the first that first run of the game was beautiful baseball. It was a, a tough at bat by Edmond. What was it? Eight pitches, I believe. Draws the walk, steals a base. Goldie, you're thinking, can he drive him in? But he hit it up the middle mm-hmm. enough to where it moves over Tommy Edmond, and you get the fly ball from Tyler O'Neill, one nothing, And that could have been the difference in the game because that's how tight these games are being played. Big spot for Tyler O'Neill too, because mm-hmm. that's the type of thing that you need to see from him in the playoffs. Tyler O'Neill has become a star this year in a lot of different ways. The one area of his game that still needs a little bit of work sometimes is the situational hitting. You got one out, runner on third, just find a way to bring that guy in. And last night he was able to do that. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. The Juju. He got him! A strikeout for Gallegos. They strand the bases loaded. And for the first time since the 2001 season, the Cardinals have won 10 in a row. Oh, the drama at the end. I about fell out of my chair in the studio doing the uh, final inning on Bally Sports last night. It was great. It was so much fun. This has been so much fun. And I believe Michael Gersh, the uh, general manager of the Cardinals, who's been kind enough to join us this morning, is with the team in Milwaukee. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That is uh, Brandon Kiley. Hey, Gersh, good morning. How you doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Um, I know you guys are, you know, supposed to play close to the vest, not get too high, not get too low. But does the fan in you come out? Does the nervousness come out in your seat of watching that team in the final inning, and in particular that final at bat? Oh, of course, of course. It's, uh, I mean, it's been it's been sort of playoff baseball for a couple weeks now. We've played nothing but playoff quality teams or teams that are fighting to get into the playoffs. And uh, we've been playing great and a lot of one-run games, a lot of uh, intense ninth innings. And, and last night was by far the most intense last <laughs> last bat of the game we've had. So it was uh, it was exciting. It was so much fun. And, and a lot of people are asking us, you know, how did this happen? What was the turning point? What's going on with this team? So as I ask you that and as you evaluate the team as to why you've been able to get in this position, what do you credit it to? Oh, <sighs> It's so hard to say. I, I, obviously, the credit goes to the players. I mean, we've we've just been playing really good baseball for a couple of weeks. Um, but sometimes you play really good baseball and you don't reel off ten in a row. So, um, you know, the, the the players, the coaching staff, the, the whole group in the clubhouse has done a great job staying confident, staying positive through what had been a, a rough, you know, you know, middle part of the season. Um, and then sometimes you catch a few breaks and 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 it all comes together and do a run like this. So. It's been a, a great job by all those guys to, you know, play at the peak of their potential and 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 kind of come through in the clutch when we need it. I've got to ask you about that June run as well because I, I went back last night because I was curious what the actual numbers were. I think we lose sight of this sometimes. From June second to June twenty seventh, the Cardinals were six and seventeen overall as their record. That's a three fifty winning percentage. Outside of that three and a half week stretch, Gersh, you guys are 74 and 52, which is winning 59% of your games on the season. Can you take me back inside of the, the front office meetings that you guys were having in that, that three and a half week stretch in June? 
What was the mood like? What were some of the conversations that were taking place at that time? Because I think you can probably imagine what our conversations were like at that time. But what was it like inside of the organization? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things. One is that Schulte and his staff kept the players positive and, and kept the environment positive. I mean, when things go bad, you know, you can start pointing fingers. People can start, you know, complaining about other you know, other groups, you know, the hitters aren't carrying their way or the pitchers aren't doing that. And none of that happened. Everyone, everyone knew that we were, we were a better team than we were showing at the moment and, and stayed positive that we could, you know, we had played well up through the end of May and that we could get back to playing well again. Um, and internally, obviously the big concern was we just weren't throwing enough strikes. I mean, we had a great defensive team that can't help when, when, when we're walking people. And that's, that was sort of the impetus for all the work we were doing, trying to identify you know, veteran strike throwers who were available in, in, you know, guys aren't really available in late May and early June, but we were trying our best to identify the LeBlancs and McFarlands and Garcias of the world that we thought could come in and just sort of stabilize and let our defense help the, help the pitching staff. And, and those guys have done, you know, way more than we ever could have expected, but they, they've done, they've done it in the way we expected and they've been even better than we had hoped. Yeah, you lead me into my next question, and I do wonder if it's as simple as that to where you're just saying, let's find some strike throwers because we know we have an elite defense. But what did you see specifically with Hap, Lester, McFarland, Garcia, and LeBlanc to bring them in and say, yeah, we know these guys are going to have maybe a little success here. What did you see? Well, I mean, it's a little different for each guy, right? So, you know, <laughs> Garcia throws 99 with a nasty slider. Uh TJ McFarland throws about 90 with an incredible sinker, right? That they couldn't be more different in how they go about it. But we, we were really, we were looking for guys who threw strikes and, you know, Lester and Hap are a little bit of fly ball guys and had been bitten by home runs. And we felt like fly balls with, with O'Neill, Bader and Carlson running around the outfield are more often than not going to be caught and playing at Bush stadium. A lot of them stay in the park. And so we felt like there was an opportunity there that they would, you know, their performance would fit better with our park than they, than they had been in, in Minnesota and Washington. Um, so everyone was a little bit different, but it was, again, it was just guys who had been there before, guys that we knew had major experience that weren't going to have the moment get too big for them that could, you know, give us, you know, good quality innings and, and hopefully, you know, stabilize things while we kind of got everything else sorted out. Cardinals general manager Michael Gersh is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Gersh, can you... Can you put a point on this for me? Because I've been searching for it, and maybe it is just as simple as defense matters, but is there a lesson to be learned from the way that the Cardinals, that you guys were able to acquire these pitchers, and they were able to have so much more success here than they did elsewhere? Because you look at some of the more uh, underlying numbers, the FIPS and the expected ERAs and all of that mumbo-jumbo, but it, it doesn't look great for them. But then you look at the ERAs, and they've been unbelievable, unbelievably effective here in St. Louis. Is there a lesson to be learned for you guys in the here and now and for the future with the way that these pitchers have been pitching? Oh, I, I don't know. I, as you pointed out, I think in June, there are a lot of people pointing out all the players who had left here and gone on to play a lot better <laughs> as opposed to the players who'd come here and pit off better. So I, I don't, you know, look, some of, some of it is great work by uh, Mike Maddox and Brian Eversgird and, and Dusty Blake and our, and our pitching crew. Uh, obviously, the defense helps, and the and the and the, and the park we play in helps our pitching staff. Um, but I'm not going to pretend that we have some sort of secret formula that we've been that we've been waiting until you know the middle of 2021 to to break out to uh, to help our pitchers. I think, you know, sometimes 
you identify something that can help guys. Sometimes guys just get comfortable in a, in a new location. Sometimes people just need an opportunity, and that happens both guys coming here and guys leaving here. Sometimes a change of scenery is is the impetus for for a change in performance. And we've been lucky with uh, a lot of performance moving in the right direction for us. There's three players uh, I want to ask you about. Dylan Carlson would be the first. We did see him get double switched out of the game last night, Mike, and also kind of grimaced on that that uh, strikeout. Is there anything uh, that you can update us with, or was it just a, a regular double switch? And obviously the move paid off. Newt Bar came around and scored after a walk and stole the base, but is there anything going on with Dylan? Yeah, so... I don't have an update this morning or anything. Yesterday, when he when he made that uh, the catch right along the foul line, kind of jumped into the uh, the railing. Yeah, I, I think he banged his wrist there, and then the check swing. He was just a little bit sore. Um, I I I don't think it's going to be a major issue at all. For all, I would expect it to be in the lineup today, but he at least was sore enough that that was some part of the double switch decision. So. But I, I don't expect it to be anything major. Understood. And then um, Jack Flaherty threw yesterday to live hitters. Can you give us an update on how he fared there and maybe his next step? And then also Dakota Hudson. Yeah, so Jack uh, threw about 15 pitches or so to Newt Barr and Rondon in a live BP, uh, like, you know, 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon before, you know, right when we got to the stadium. Um, he looked good. He felt good. The next big question is how he feels today. I mean, the, the steps in rehab are always, do you feel good enough to, to, to pitch? Then how do you pitch? And then how do you feel the next day? So uh, assuming he comes in feeling good today, we'll then make a decision on, on when, when he'll be available next. But I think it's been, we've been talking about like stretching Jack all the way back out to being a starter would take way too long at this point in the season. So he's more likely to be, you know, starting back up at an inning or two and, you know, we'll, we'll sort of sort through what that's going to look like once we know that he recovered well from, from yesterday. And Dakota has his final rehab uh, rehab start today for Memphis. Um, he's being stretched all the way out. And really, you know, one of the things we want to make sure with Dakota is that he is ready for next year, that he's stretched out, that he does his whole rehab process. And you, you can do that in the minors because he, he'll throw his allotted pitch count tonight kind of no matter what happens in the game. Whereas if you bring him to the big leagues and try to have him throw 85 pitches, if things go sideways in the second inning or if, we need a pinch hit in the fourth inning because we have an opportunity. You just can't guarantee that he's going to finish his, his rehab the way that we, we want him to, be, to, to complete it. So he'll, he'll make that start today, and then we'll determine sort of what comes next for him. We, I, I'm not trying to play coy. We just don't know yet. Like, sure. we got to figure out kind of where we are and where the roster is and, and, and what, what we need, and, and we'll see if we can uh, make, do something that makes sense. But, but things are going great for Dakota. He's, he's feeling good. He's worked through his whole rehab. He's really only a little bit over a year post-surgery which is pretty is a pretty fast schedule to get back to the big leagues so uh you know i think we should temper expectations that he's gonna you know start throwing 100 pitch outings in the big leagues anytime soon um but we'll we'll get it this last rehab start in and then we'll sort of reassess where we are i wanted to ask you gersh if i told you before the season adam wainwright's going to be the only pitcher on your roster that throws more than 105 innings this year what would your reaction have been to that question well, I wouldn't have been very optimistic about how our pitching staff was doing. Um, I, I also would have been not entirely – well, okay, so I would have been surprised because you wouldn't guess that our oldest pitcher would throw the most innings. Uh, but I also would have been not totally shocked because entering this year, coming off a 60-game season, like none of us had any clue what pitching was going to look like and how healthy guys were going to be and whether we were going to be able to push them like we normally do and all that. So um, certainly – 
not having anyone over 105 innings except for one guy is not the way you uh, you draw up your rotation and your pitching staff in spring training. But um, it's you know again guys have jumped on jumped in and taken opportunities and and, and made it work. So and wayno has been so good in his innings that it's allowed us to to sort of muddle through parts of the season where we didn't have a whole lot of support for him in the rotation, but we're in a better spot now. Hey, Gersh, was there any thought about uh, Yepes getting a call up to the, the big leagues? He's obviously really turned the corner this year in his career and, and has put up really nice numbers uh, down in the minor leagues. Was there any thought to maybe giving him a promotion here at the end? Sure. Yeah, Juan, Juan Yepes has had a great season for, for Memphis. Um, he's definitely on the radar. I mean, there's a few guys down there that we've talked about. Um, you know, at the moment, we're sort of got a good thing going, and so shaking things up doesn't make a ton of sense. Sure. Honestly, it's, the, September is just so different now with only a 28-man roster than when we normally would carry 36 or 38. And there's a bunch of guys at Memphis who, in, in a, in a quote-unquote normal September, in what, what September used to be like, would be up here. Um, but given the, the limitation on number of, position, you know, of roster spots, and we're carrying quite a bit of pitching because our starters are tending to go five innings, and so we're trying to, trying to keep ourselves from – from uh, overworking the bullpen too much. So, um, but no, Juan Lefez had a great year. He's certainly been in the conversation and will continue to be in the conversation if anything changes. I've got two guys I don't want to ask you about, Michael, before we get you out of here. Uh, Tyler O'Neill and Edmundo Sosa, both of whom kind of came into this season, at least from the outside looking in, seeming like they were at a bit of a crossroads in their career. It could go one of two directions, and both of them have been uh, outstanding, especially of late, but really all season long. What's it meant to you guys to get these kinds of performances out of those two guys in particular? And is this what you were expecting out of those two coming into the season? So obviously it's huge when, I mean, anytime you have a successful season, you're going to have to have some guys outperform expectations, right? You're never, unless you put together a team that everyone expects to win a hundred games, you're going to have somebody who's going to have to outperform in order to help you uh, help for the guys who get hurt or or underperform. Um, I think Tyler, you know, we've, we've thought, very highly of Tyler O'Neill for a long time. We, we, we gave up a good pitcher to acquire him. He was a highly rated prospect. We've, uh, you know, we, I'm not sure we expected exactly this to be what he looked like, but, but we expected him to be, you know, a, a very, a very good outfielder, a very good hitter, you know, above average contributor and a future all-star. And, and so the fact that he's doing it is certainly is, is great. It's nice for everyone involved that in the trade and in his development that we get to watch it kind of come to fruition. Um, and Mundo was a little bit like a lower, lower profile guy, um, but he's been in our organization forever. I mean, we, we, uh, we signed him when he was 16. So probably been in our, in our organization for a decade. He's, he went through every step of the minor leagues. He's, um, he's someone that there are a lot of people in the organization that had some hand in, in helping get him to the big leagues. And you're right. Coming into the season without any options left and having not really established himself, uh, uh, and was a little bit of a crossroads, but. He's been great. He's been he's been great defensively. He's he's been better than we probably expected offensively. He has a knack for for you know his baseball IQ is just really high. He has a knack of being in the right place at the right time for taking bases on you know with his speed when he can, and he just hasn't made any mistakes out there. And he's been a huge part of the last you know two weeks or so. And uh, it's it's been it's been great to see. And and he's a you know great guy who works his butt off. So it's been really nice to see it come to come to a fruition for him. You know, Gersh, I, and I'll wrap it up with this. I realize that you're in the moment. You're thinking about now. You're trying to win the game tonight, and it'll be 11. 11-
if you guys do, and a remarkable run and hopefully a run into postseason play for the Cardinals. However, you always have in your seat an eye towards the future. So um, two questions, and they're both on opposite sides of the spectrum here. One would be, at what point do you try to get Wayno signed? And I'm assuming that will happen, and he'll finish his career in St. Louis, uh, not to put words in your mouth. Hmm. but uh, And then the other thing, the fans always ask me with the CBA coming up about the DH in the National League. So I, I do want to ask you about those two things and what you're hearing on the DH, and then also about trying to get Wayno and, and tie that thing up and move forward with your offseason plans. Yeah, so I, I when we signed Yachty a few weeks ago, Mo described it as the oddest negotiation he's ever done. And I think Wayne will be the same way. It, it, it's, it's not going to be a traditional negotiation over a contract with a free agent. Um, I think it'll be more of a conversation about, you know, where we want to go and how we want to do this. Um, I, I suspect it won't happen until we're done playing for the year, which hopefully is not for six, six or eight weeks or, or whatever the number is. Um, but it is something that we will obviously, uh, you know, address, you know, later on and, and, and see where we see what we can do. So um, in terms of the CBA and the DH, it's, it's very much out of, out of our hands. That's uh, that's at the, at the commissioner's office and the union level. Um, I think it is likely that the DH is part of the new CBA, but until someone tells us for sure, uh, we don't really know. So in terms of, to the extent we're, you know, looking to the future and thinking about rosters and things, our sort of position is we're kind of assuming the DH is going to be part of, of baseball going forward. I mean, at this point, the National League is, I think, like the last league in, in the world that doesn't have a DH. I mean, the minor leagues have DHs, college has DHs, the Japanese league has DHs. I mean, so I think the momentum towards the DH happening is it's kind of, uh, you know, inevitable at this point. Um, but until someone actually tells us what the rules are going to be for next year, uh, we we sort of operate under the current rules with a, an assumption about what might happen. Yeah, so and that's we'll why. I, yeah, sure, and that's why I was asking. Hey, Mike, I, I I know you guys are really busy, and thanks for uh, carving out a few minutes for us. Really appreciate the fact that you're candid with this and uh, coming on the show. And let's hope we see eleven in a row tonight. Uh, keeping it going. It's been it's been a great run. Why why stop now? Absolutely, it's been so much fun. That's uh, Michael Gersh, the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. A lot of good stuff in that. Um, I liked what he said, and I know it frustrates fans a ton. Um, And I know Mike Schilt very, very well. Uh, I I know that when things were going south at times, fans want to see, like, Mike just go off in these post-game Zooms. He's just not going to do it. That's not who he is. And so as he was talking about that, and he said, you know, he always kind of put out the positive front. He's not burying players. He can't do that because he's got to go back into that clubhouse and talk to these guys and try to keep them on the right pace and play to a positive way to help the team. And as he was saying, I looked up at MLB Network and there was Tatis and Machado holding a a joint press conference. Again, those things happen. Don't get me wrong. And it happened with the St. Louis Cardinals with Ponce and Yachty. Those things happen. Uh, But... If you're looking for Mike to be like flipping over the spread and going crazy, it's just not going to happen. He's a very positive guy, and that's how he runs his ship. And we know there were serious conversations that were had inside of that clubhouse. Some of those have been made public now in terms of Mike Schilt saying publicly after games, hey, listen, we had conversations with our guys. We got too one-dimensional as an offense, and we needed to change that. And there were issues with our pitching staff, and personnel-wise, they changed that as well. But when you go 6-17 and in any stretch, and you have the kind of expectations 
teams that the Cardinals do coming into this season. The Pirates had a bunch of those stretches. The Diamondbacks had a bunch of those stretches. It's different there because they didn't have any expectations. When you're going through that and you're in the middle of it, it sucks, man. It's brutal as a player, as a manager, as a coach, whoever you are inside of that clubhouse, it stinks. And all of them feel it in those moments. But Schilt deserves a lot of credit, as you heard from Michael Gersh, for keeping things together. Whether it's him, whether it's Wayno or Yachty or whomever else was keeping things together inside of that clubhouse. And there's a lot of credit that goes around to a lot of different people. That could have buried this team. It probably should have buried this team. And they didn't allow it. And now we're able to watch meaningful baseball at the end of September because they got through that unscathed. And that's that's such a big thing, man. That that shows you that the Cardinals do have leadership in the right places. The other point I want to make, too, he, he said, hey, we, we brought in Jay Happ. We knew he was a fly ball pitcher, and we play in a huge ballpark. Maybe this works for us. And yep. they took a flyer on it. I mean, these are educated guesses when they take a flyer on John Lester at the end of his career and Jay Happ and Garcia and McFarland and LeBlanc, which all five of those guys have been at some point or time uh, and time huge moves for the club. And I always say this, PK, like I can go on and say, well, you know, the analytics say that this guy does that and here's his this and here's his that on various websites. And I do it all the time. I mean, I look at pitching savant and, uh, you know, you go to the various analytical sites that help you out. There's a different formula that all these teams have. Every one of them. The Cardinals is not like the Cubs. Cubs is not like Milwaukee. I mean, they're all different to where they look and say, you know, we think that this may work because of this combination of what we have. And it goes beyond to what you just read on your computer screen at home. And I have to remind myself that because when I when they picked up Happen Lester, I was like everybody else. I was like, well, it's going to get them through the year and maybe mm-hmm. save some guys' arms. Well, now these guys have become factors down the stretch. So... It's educated guess, and, you know, as much as you want to at times say, man, that was a bad move. Why'd they do this? Why? They, well, this one and these five worked out, and so you got to get them credit, give them credit when credit is due, and this is one of those times where they deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of talk uh, around St. Louis over the last few weeks, and Derek Gould, and I know you were on this as well, I've been talking about it. Is Bush Stadium becoming too much of a pitcher's park? Do they need to move in the fences a little bit because the construction over there has has changed the way that the ball carries? Well, part of why you can construct the team the way that they have is because of those ballpark factors that they have right now. You've got a great infield defense. The outfield defense is probably the best in the sport. And you look at the ballpark that you're playing it, which suppresses offense. Okay, you can get away with some of these pitchers when other teams simply cannot. And I think that is one thing that I'm super interested in going into the offseason, Dan. Do you need to pay $15, $20 million for a guy that's a legit number one or number two starter when you can have a solid mid-tier starter who might give you similar results going about it very differently? Not going to get the same strikeout numbers, but with weak contact and fly balls that are um, run under with this defense – does that give you a little bit of an inefficiency that you can exploit going into the market this offseason? It's something that I'm so interested in moving forward, and I think the Cardinals were able to do that this season. I'm going to be interested to see if that's something formulaically that they look at going into next offseason. So I, I'd look at, with the money that they have, I would invest it in pitching because we saw this year that if you can pitch with this defense, you got a chance to win games. I would cover myself with some bets with – some guy, maybe I take a flyer on some mid-level guys, and they could be swing guys. You know, they could be in the rotation, they could be in the bullpen, and I don't have that list in front of me. I don't know. Sure. I haven't looked yet. Um, I do think you need a bat. 
but also it's a reason I asked Michael Gersh about the DH. You know, you got the DH coming, and it's going to be here in the National League. Whether you like it or not, it is coming. But you also have, soon enough, Nolan Gorman coming. And I'm telling you, Jordan Walker is coming. It's it's going to be sooner rather than later. I, I truly believe that. Uh, there's a kid down there in the minor leagues, Alec Burleson, that's had a nice year. He's a corner outfielder. He's only 22. Juan Yepes. We'll Juan Yepes, another one. Into the mix next year. So th- there are some things you can do with your bats, um, but I do want to see them go out and get one. But again, I think my primary focus would be pitching because if you have pitching, you have a chance to win with this defense, and it's being proven now every single night. Yeah, I just I, I wonder because a lot of people are going to text in six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line and say no, go get Scherzer, go get Scherzer. I listen, I'm not going to argue against going out and getting Max Scherzer. That'd be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. However, I do wonder: is it better to spend the twenty million dollars on Max Scherzer or? To your point, Dan, is it better to spend that on five different pitchers who might cost you four to five million dollars per? And now you've got a bunch of arms that can come in at any point in time. They give you more depth going into next year and you're able to play more similarly to how they're playing right now. I I don't know the answer to that question. It's going to be fascinating to see which direction they decide to go. But I think that's going to be something that they're certainly having conversations about going into the offseason. Now, if I was Nolan Arnato or Paul Goldschmidt, or Dylan Carlson, I'm saying, yeah, we need to move these fences in, man. I'm telling sure. you, I've been robbed by a couple of home runs. I, I need to get the, you know, I could have had five or six more. I get it. But if I'm a pitcher, I'm saying, ah, I don't know, this ballpark plays pretty fair. I really like it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the way this park plays. Absolutely. So that's something they'll address in the offseason. We'll go around the majors when we come back on 101 ESPN. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. All right, around baseball we go. So with the Cardinals, as Tanner mentioned, having won now 10 in a row, first time since 2001, the Cardinals have opened up a four-game lead in the wild card. The reason why? The Pirates helping out St. Louis. Line drive right field. Suits Sugo into the corner. Perez will score. Suits Sugo into second base with a pinch hit RBI double. Pirates leading it 6-2. And they win it by that final. By the way, the Reds stranded the bases loaded with nobody out in the bottom of the fourth. They had Castellanos. They had Votto. They had another big bat coming up. They couldn't bring him in. And really, that was the difference in the game. The Phillies had to come back late in their game against the O's. And he hits it down the right field line. Santander on the run over toward the corner. He can't get it. It's a game over, baby. Harper's already at third. He's coming home. The throw to the plate is not in time. It's a walk-off two-run triple by JT Real Muto. Here in the bottom of the 10th inning, the Phillies win it. The Phillies in the wild card are four and a half back, but still have a chance in the East, too. Actually closer in the East than they are the wild card at this point. They're three behind the Braves, four and a half back of the Cardinals. The Braves are a team that might be worth monitoring moving forward because they might be the closest ones to you in terms of the the wild card race now if you're going moving forward here. It's going to be interesting down the stretch, Dan. You've got about five teams that are battling for two spots, talking about the NL East and the second wild card. Yeah, I've been watching the Braves. 
they've been out west against Arizona, and they had a real tough stretch where they had to go out twice to the West Coast, coming from Atlanta and then doing that. And by the way, the the Braves and the Phillies do have a three-game series remaining before this is all said and done. Now, how about the Padres? What happened with them last night? And a jam shot and a base hit. Belt is coming home. Do they have a play? They got him. No. No, he dropped it. Belt is going to score. Wade comes through again in the ninth. Wow. 6-5 in the ninth. Obviously, big hit. 6-5. The Giants beat the Padres. So, the Padres now are five back. Philly, four and a half. Cincinnati, four out in the wild card. In the American League, by the way, Boston is a game and a half in front of Toronto, and the Yankees are just a half game back of the second wild card spot of the Blue Jays. Then you have Oakland three, Seattle three. No one talks about the Mariners. They're just kind of hanging around. Just Danny Mack. He's the only one. I, I just <laughs> I just find it interesting. I mean, this is a team that no one expected to do anything, and yet they are uh, three out. So There's is- somebody to watch this offseason, by the way, because we if we know anything about their front office, they're going to be super aggressive and they have stated publicly that they will be so this offseason. Watch them when it comes to some of the big-name players on the market. Oh, I got my team to watch out for. Yeah? Detroit? Yes, sir. They've got two of the top prospects in baseball that probably graduate to the major leagues next year. They have played well beyond expectations this year. Matter of fact, Detroit has played better than a lot of teams. They've been better than the White Sox in the second half this this year. And they're going to have money coming off the books, and apparently they want to spend. Apparently, Carlos Correa might be a guy that they have their eyes on. A.J. Hinch managed him in Houston. That's right. They could use a guy to be the face of the franchise going into this next era. Watch them in a connection with uh, Carlos Correa. So, Tampa Bay... Uh, they are six in front of Boston. Did not wrap it up last night. White Sox, 10 and a half. And Houston is eight in front in the West. Meanwhile, in the East, it's Atlanta leading Philly by three, as you mentioned. Milwaukee now a nine and a half game lead over St. Louis. And the the, the division that's still not decided is the uh, National League West. And it does have what could be an impact on the Cardinals if the Cardinals get in and the uh, the one-game playoff of the wild-card teams, then you're talking about either the Giants or the Dodgers, and the Dodgers now are only a game back, and they're 9-1 and one in their last 10. So either one of those teams that you face, if you're that wild, second wild-card team, ain't easy. And if you're looking at uh, the – if you're doing the schedule game, which we have done a lot this year, Dan, it – it's kind of even uh, the Dodgers have the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, the Padres, and then they actually finish the season with three at home against Milwaukee. And then for the Giants, they've got two more against San Diego, three against Colorado, three against Arizona, and then three more to finish off the season against San Diego. So it could be the Brewers that ultimately decide who the Cardinals are going to be yeah. playing in that wild card round. What are you looking forward to tonight? And on your show. Well, for our show, I'm very much looking forward to Chris Thorburn, uh, Stanley Cup champion with the Blues, now working with them, uh, coaching some of their prospects. He was a part of the coaching staff for that Traverse City tournament. We're going to talk to him about Scott Perunovich's role moving forward and what he saw from him in that tournament. Plus, Kevin Goldstein, former Astros general manager. Dan, about a month ago, he told us he did not like the Cardinals' chances of making the playoffs, like all of the rest of us. We're going to talk to him coming up at 1230. A lot of... Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.